Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the podcast. In this podcast, I'll be answering a few questions I received by email a few days ago. And I really liked these questions because they really focused in an area that I've thought about a lot myself over the years. And it's an area that I really think that I can offer some suggestions or guidance or insight, whatever you want to call it. But let me get down to the specifics of it. This is a guy, and I'm not going to give too many details about his background and his current situation. I'll give enough details to explain where he's coming from, but not so many details that it might make him uncomfortable. But just for a little bit of backstory, this is a guy who was in the Marine Corps for a number of years. And this guy was in an occupational specialty that, that was is pretty intense. It takes a very high level of discipline, very high level of dedication, training, uh, personal motivation. And those of us who know, those of us who are in the, in the Marine Corps will know what it means to graduate from this school that this guy did and the, 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 the type of intensity level and commitment that it takes to do this job. So this guy is no shirker. This guy has obviously demonstrated a very, very high level of proficiency. And that's the first thing that jumped out at me when I was reading his email. But he got out. He got out of the, he got out, he got off of active duty and he enrolled in a degree program at a major, highly respected uh, national university. And he's becoming, I get the sense that he's becoming a little bit disillusioned with some of the political political correctness, a little bit of the nonsense, a little bit of the readjustment process that all of us who get out have to go through when we reintegrate back into the civilian world. And I sense that there's a little bit of tension there. And this guy is in a humanities type of program. And, you know, I just get the sense that he might not feel a lot of connection with a lot of the people in his program, and he maybe senses the differences between his own background and and the backgrounds of a lot of the people that that he sees. And, you know, it it really kind of makes me sad. It's really sad because, if anything, academia needs guys like this. It it, it desperately, desperately needs people like this, guys with real-world experience, guys who know the meaning of leadership, dedication, commitment, and all of those manifestations of traditional masculine virtue that are so sorely lacking in academia and higher education today. So it it, it really kind of made me feel bad in some ways to read this email. But in other ways, it made me feel really good because it's good for me to know that there are actually still guys out there who are doing this stuff, who are out there who are trying to get into these programs trying to go through these academic programs. It lets me know that hope is not lost not quite yet. And the backstory of what he's describing for me in his email is that he feels a little bit disillusioned, like all of us, with the cultural Marxism boilerplate view of history, where you have to you have to interpret all of the humanities through this prism of, of political correctness and social justice warriorism, where you can't just read things for what they are. You have to put some sort of politically correct spin on everything to make it digestible to the dorks. Because, you know, God forbid we should offend anyone. God forbid we should find or read something that upsets 
the established order. You know how you know what it is. You know the deal. But anyway, uh, he's had a lot of good things to say in his email, and I appreciate his his kind comments about my my books and my blog and and podcasts and whatnot. But what he's really asking is he's thinking of going back into the military. He's thinking of going back on active duty. Maybe, maybe he's not finding the level of fulfillment that he expected in the civilian world, and. There are basically four questions here, and I'll take them one by one. The first question he asks is, why did you choose to become a civilian? Why did you choose to become a civilian? And the best way I can answer this is is this. I never intended to be a career military guy. When I was growing up, or at least the frame of reference that I always thought was the best one, was a military experience in a man's life was a good training ground. It was a good way to learn some lessons in life to, uh, you know, sort of forge yourself in the crucible of fire or the, the, the hammer and anvil method of hammering out all your, your impurities. And then once you'd done that, once you had learned those lessons, then you moved on and you went and did something else. And that, that's kind of the model that I really respected. And that's what I think the traditional for lack of a better phrase, uh, Renaissance man model is. You know, you don't you don't want to be staying in the military too long because I think if you stay in there too long, I think your your horizons diminish. Your, you know, I I I think it becomes kind of constricting. It becomes smothering in some ways. At least that's how I felt it. And you know, that's that's just a personal thing. I'm not making any sort of value judgment on anybody else. There are a, a great number of people that choose to stay in as a career and there's absolutely nothing negative about that or, or imputed negative about that. It's really a matter of preference. But for me, I wanted to have multiple careers. I didn't want to just do one thing. I wanted to do different things. So that's really why I became a civilian. I, had, I guess the best way to explain it is I had done what I had set out to do. I had accomplished the goals I had set out for myself and then it was time to move on. And you'll know this at every stage of your life. You're not going to do just one thing usually for your entire life. And even if you do do one job, you're going to move around within that job because nobody can just stay in one place forever. You have to you have to have some diversity. You have to have some variety. You need to prevent yourself from stagnating. So that's the best answer I can give to that. I, I chose to become a civilian because I had accomplished what I set out to accomplish, and there were other challenges, other callings out there beckoning for me to take up. So the second question is, this is a little bit more difficult. He says, would you consider yourself patriotic? Would you consider yourself patriotic? And man, this is a tough question. And, you know, let me kind of go through and explain what I, the short answer is yes. Okay, that's the short answer is yes, I do consider myself patriotic. But let me qualify that by adding on a few qualifiers here. Patriotism is not about running around with a lapel pin with the American flag on it. It's not about shouting slogans. It's not about beating your chest and and, uh, you know, making a spectacle of oneself or walking around with a, a MAGA hat on. You know, that's not what patriotism is, is, is to me. Patriotism is that quiet, um, quiet assurance 
of knowing where you came from, of knowing who you are, and knowing where you're going. I think that's really the the best definition, or, or that that's the concept of, of patriotism that I like the best. It's being grounded. It's having a sense of who you are. Patriotism is not really about running around and shouting slogans at people and getting involved in, in political discussions with people or getting into debates with foreigners about policies or getting into, into defending uh, some uh, charlatan politician in their fooleries. That's not what patriotism is. Patriotism, I think, is expressing through your bearing, your demeanor, your conduct, and your actions that you know who you are that you know where you came from, that you're not trying to be something that you are not. It's that sense of identity. It's that sense of place. And it's that intangible expression of identity. It's that quiet expression of being grounded is what people will pick up on. That's what they'll notice. That's what they'll key off of. And by adopting that demeanor, you will become the best ambassador for your country that you can possibly be. Now, God only knows, everybody knows, that men today have every right to feel a deep sense of grievance, a deep sense of betrayal, a seething sense of anger at their society here in America. For what I see is their, the society's betrayals. And I don't really want to get into a big discussion of this because I've talked about this at length in other places. But, you know, men growing up today, men coming of age now, are really been betrayed in many ways by their, by their um, forefathers, by their forebearers. Those who were trusted with the sacred task of passing on the patrimony of the country in, in an intact state failed miserably in that job. These baby boomers, the, the, the generation that's 50 and above or 60 and above, these were the people that were running the show in the past 30, 40, you know, 20 to 40 years. These are the people that were running things. And they, the, the reason why we are where we are now is because they either failed to stop this political correctness wave and they failed to put all this insanity in check or they were a part of it. They were accessories to it. So they were. these are either sins of omission or commission. So men now have every right to feel aggrieved, to feel bitter, to feel angry, to feel betrayed by their country. I mean, let's face it. It's, it's the worst it's ever been. It really is. I mean, at least in my lifetime. You can't, the, the, the economy is, is the worst it's ever been. Jobs are very hard to come by. The social structure is seems to be unraveling. I mean, we've got a situation now in this country where one in four women are apparently, you know, borderline insane. The sexes are at daggers drawn with each other. The culture here is is creating and maintaining constant antagonisms between men and women so that they now see each other. Women see men as basically the enemy now. They see us all as potential rapists or or uh, patriarchists or whatever you want to, whatever bugbear you want to call it. And this filters into the culture. This filters into their minds, so that you know a lot of women in, in this in this culture simply are just not even. They're not even. Uh, they don't even want to be wives or girlfriends or or mothers. They're not. Even, they're totally unsuitable for 
the the roles that I think nature really prescribed for them and, and, and society prescri prescribed for them primarily. Now, I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong for people to have careers or, but, you know, things are so bad now. You know, it's, 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 it's at the point now where there's just no sense of duties. There's absolutely no sense of duties now. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just not comment on that. That's a fact. That's a reality. And any man that's traveled around the world sees the difference when he gets here you've got you've got the sense of entitlement here the sense of uh you know arrogance entitlement hostility which makes a lot of guys just like look it's just not even worth it I, you know I'm, I'm 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 checking out i'm done i'm done and you know it's hard to disagree with that but let me tell you the flip side of that coin all right, there is all that. There is all that bitterness. There is all that anger. There is all that sense of betrayal. And trust me, I suffered through that for many years. For many years. Before there ever was a manosphere. Before any of this stuff was out there in the popular domain, you know, in the 90s. You know, those of us who had been around, those of us who traveled around, we knew the difference. We could see the difference. We knew that our culture was hosed up, that had sold us out. We, we knew it. But there was no real way to express that because the internet really wasn't uh, what it is now. But let me tell you something. Having said all that, you know, the older I get, I've kind of mellowed a little bit because I say to myself, you know, what good does it do to rage against this, the machine like that? What, what, what good is it going to do? Is it going to make you happier? Is it going to make me happier? You know, what do you, what do you want vengeance for? What are you going to do? Are you going you to punish somebody? You know? Uh, what are you what are you going to do? You know, maybe they're just as much victims of that, this degenerate culture that we live in. Maybe the women here, they're, they're just as much victims of that as as we are. You know, it's hard to say. It, it really is hard to say. I just don't know anymore where the where the role of of um, of perpetrator ends and where the role of victim begins. That that line seems to be blurring. It's it's hard it's hard man it's it's hard to say it's hard to say and in any case it doesn't matter because one man can't do everything one man can't change anything you got to do what you got to do to survive and if that means going abroad if if the pickings are not good where you are then you've got to make adjustments and you've got to make changes you've got to do other things complaining about it whining about it bitching about it doesn't do anybody any good and you know, man, it took me a long time to get to that point. It took me a long time. It took me a long time because I was I was seething with rage for a long time because I would say to myself, man, how how can this be? You know, how did things get to this point? What what happened? You know, this is not rational. This is not normal. And luckily, I was able to channel that angst into constructive outlets. In, in productive ways. But that's, I guess, my feeling about patriotism. I guess, uh, uh, yeah, you have every right to feel betrayed, but this is the thing. This is the thing, and, 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 and mark this well. You know, we're still better than them. We're not going to abandon our country. We're not going to let it go down the tubes. We're not going to surrender and leave the playing field when there are cards still left to play. We're not going to do that. Even though we have every right to be enraged, even though we have every right to come and get you for what you did, for selling us out, for selling us down the river, 
We're not going to do that. And if maybe someday, if there ever is an honest reckoning, there will be a price to be paid. Maybe someday. Who knows? But we forego the vengeance. There is no vengeance here. What there is instead is, is an understanding that we are, we are the great ones. You, I, us. Even though we've been abused and put upon and, and kept down and, and betrayed in the profoundest ways. I mean, if you have a, are in a situation where you can't even find a job and you can't even find, a man can't even find a job in a family, you ask, well, what do you really have? What do you really have? You know? But despite all that, I'm not going to let someone else define me. I'm not going to let someone else define my state of mind. We're still greater than them. And we'll never turn our back on our country. We'll never turn our back on our patrimony. So long as we're still breathing. And as long as we can still do something about it. And that's really what makes us better than them. You know, the sellouts, the traitors, the backstabbers, that's them. They're the ones who adopt that worldview, not us. And that, that's why that motto, always faithful, semper fidelis, really means something. Always faithful. Always faithful. So it's just not in my nature to just turn my back on my country and just say, ha, hey, you know, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. Goodbye. You know, sink or swim. You know, uh, it's not in my nature to be a, a turncoat. It's not in my nature to be a um, to be a betrayer, to sell out. I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do it. And so that's why, despite all of the negativity that I see around, all of the bad things that have happened, all of the the, the righteous anger that we feel, that men feel. You know, you have to channel that in a positive direction. You can't allow yourself to be consumed by bitterness because that that really is a walking death. That'll kill you. So that's my advice about the patriotism thing. You know, feel the bitterness, feel the anger. It is justified, it is real. But don't ever allow yourself to be consumed by it. Don't ever allow that to define you. And don't ever, don't ever sell out. Don't ever betray your background. Don't ever betray your country. Don't ever forsake the country that, that nurtured you and gave you sustenance. Because I think in many ways, that's an even more unforgivable crime than anything else. Yeah, we've suffered a lot of abuse. We've, 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 we've been taking it for a long time. But, you know, I, you know, you can call it stupidity. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But... I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to allow that to impact me or define me or to get them to uh, turn my back on my patrimony. So that would answer that question if I consider myself patriotic. And the third question is he says is it possible to be the kind is it possible to be the kind of general Patton or Mattis were in this modern military that has been ravaged by regressive liberalism? Yes. You got to put some some of this stuff in perspective. You know, we're living in very degenerate times. We're living in times that are marked by wealth, by luxury, by ease, by opulence. And in those times, it's very difficult for men of merit, 
for men of masculine virtue uh, to be heard. It's very difficult for for certain types of leadership traits to, to rise to the fore because those are the type of traits that are really come out in, in, in crisis time, in wartime. In peacetime, you have wimps and wusses and, and shit talkers and, and big mouths. Those are the ones that get the accolades in peacetime. But when things really go down, when the, when the balloon goes up, as we used to say, and you'll recognize that, when the balloon goes up, when the shit really goes down, they're going to call on the ones who can get the job done. So that's why all this bullshit will go right out the window once a real crisis hits. All this politically correct bullshit, all this noise, all this nonsense that everybody thinks is so important, all that bullshit would go right out the window in 10 minutes once the balloon really went up. And I know that because those of us who understand how history works know that Times of opulence and luxury and ease only can last for so long. And there's a certain elasticity of that historical curve where things just snap back into a certain position after a certain time. And maybe we are ripe for some sort of correction at some point. You know, who knows? Probably we are. Well, not probably, definitely we are. The only question is, when will that happen? You know, it'll probably happen a lot sooner than any of us think. The fourth question is, what can a younger man do to affect positive change in today's society? Well, that's a pretty easy question. Uh, it's a pretty easy answer, I think, to that question. What, the same thing that any man can do to, if he wants to change society. You know, it sounds like such a cliche, but it's true. If you want to change society... You know, start with yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. Ask yourself every day, what good are you going to do today? What obligations and duties and responsibilities are you taking on yourself? Because people observe other people. And good acts, good deeds, good conduct has a way of becoming contagious. And I've seen this in action. Just like bad conduct and bad behavior can also be contagious. What we have right now in our society is we have too many people that are doing stupid and irresponsible things and not enough people doing responsible things. We're drowning in hubris. We're really drowning in hubris today. And that was really one of the main motivators why I decided to translate uh, Sallust's, um, you know, Conspiracy of Catiline and War of Jugurtha because... I feel like the lessons that that book is going to be able to teach people are lessons that they should have learned when they were a lot younger, but, but never did. So every man has to do his part or try to do his part or her part. So if, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a cliche. You've heard it before. But if you're asking what can you do to affect positive change, improve yourself Improve yourself. Become a beacon for others. Become a role model for others. If you want to change society, start by influencing those within your immediate range of vision. Start by influencing those who you have some sort of proximate contact with. Because you can't change the economy. You can't change society. You can't change the, the culture, really, except by operating within your own narrow range of of, um, of 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 vision so that's really what you have to do 
And the way to know how to do that is, well, study the lives of great men, read the manuals and treatises of good conduct that are out there, read history, read those things that I've been putting out there, and then you'll know everything you need to know about how to act, how to behave, and how to function as a role model to not only younger men, but your peers. Because deep down, people want to be led. Deep down, people want to look up to someone. They want to see someone be hardcore. Because there's nobody that's hardcore anymore, or very few people anyway. And if you can do that, your influence will be profound and appreciated, profoundly appreciated. So that will conclude my podcast here for tonight. I hope I've answered the questions in the email. And if you have any further questions, you can certainly email me at qcurtius.com. qcurtius at, email, at, at gmail.com, I should say. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.